0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, this is January 2nd, if you're not aware of that. Some of you have that foggy feeling in your brain that I have where these two or three weeks between Christmas and the new year just kind of blend together. Uh, I don't feel like the new year actually starts until my kids go back to school, uh, is the, generally how I feel about it. But uh, but we're thankful for this new year and these new opportunities, and we're praying. Uh, that God will be with us in the year 2022. If you have your bulletins, you can open those. Uh, we uh, Not too much to announce here this morning, other than the fact that tonight we're not going to have youth. Uh, we're going to take one more week off, and we'll start next week with, uh, with youth here at church in the evening. Uh, if you brought a gift to Grace today, you can place it in the, uh, the box on your way out uh, in a, in after church. Uh, but right now we're going to open the word of God and hear the word of the Lord. So if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, uh, today we're in the book of Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us graciously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated Well, I hope you all had a good Christmas with family and friends. Uh, Our Christmas consisted of driving distances that I don't want to drive and finding places for things that I don't want to own, Uh, which it seems to be part of what the Christmas tradition is when you have to visit grandparents and you have four uh, kids. But I'm just thankful today that on this chilly first Sunday of the new year that you've been able to uh, join us. And what I wanted to talk about today, I wanted to keep it really, really simple. I just wanted to talk this morning to us about the gospel. You know, the the simplicity of the gospel is something we need to reacquaint ourselves with from time to time. Uh, And as I was preparing for this morning, I realized I just need to reacquaint myself with the simplicity of the gospel, the good news this morning. I needed to be reminded of it. And because I'm the pastor, I get to preach on what I want to preach on. So I, uh, so there, you feel good about that? Uh, so this morning, that is where we're headed, all right? Uh, and here's the truth. The gospel is the good news. And we would, and it's the most important news in the world. And we would do well to remind ourselves of that news regularly. You know, we just get so caught up with life. We just live our lives Uh, at such a fast pace nowadays that very often we simply forget the centrality of the gospel and the simplicity of that message. You know, so, so often we can turn this religious life that we live as followers of Jesus into either like a kind of sin elimination project, or we can turn it into a I'm trying to get God to do stuff for me project, both of which are not the gospel, we turn our faith in Jesus, very often even, into a kind of moralistic campaign where we get worked up about how other people's moral lives don't line up or to conform with our moral vision. And that's not the gospel either, is it? None, none of those other projects are the gospel. Uh, the gospel, plain and simple, is this, the message that Christians, followers of King Jesus, are called to live out and carry with us. The gospel, and the gospel that we are called to proclaim with our words and with the way we live our lives is this very good news that Titus makes, uh, gives us in just five short verses. Uh, and he reminds us, he begins this passage reminding his audience of the importance of the gospel. So what I want to do this morning is simply just walk through these five verses with you briefly this morning to remind ourselves of of the gospel, to meditate on this good news together for a little bit. So if you're in the room today, and you are a Christian, and I know every one of you in the room today, so I know if you are or not. If I I come talk to you afterwards, you better watch out. Uh, But this is great for Christians in the room who, who have ever had someone ask, what do you tell me, what do you believe, right? This is a great message for that. If you've had a hard time giving an answer to that question, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to sum up the gospel. Uh, This passage of scripture is for you. And if you're in the room today and you're having a hard time defining what it is you believe, right, this is for yourself. This is an important passage for us to familiarize ourselves with. And if you're like me and you know this message, you know this message, you believe this message, but you need to be reminded of it often then this passage is for you as well. So, let's jump right in. Titus begins this passage of Scripture by reminding his audience of where they have come from. This is, how, this is where he starts this, uh, this passage of Scripture. Beginning in verse 3, he says this, "...at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures." We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is the beginning of the gospel, right? This is the beginning of the gospel, and it's central to what we believe. And that, is, and that central point one of the gospel that Titus brings up here is this. Point one of the gospel, and there's going to be four points this morning. Point one of the gospel, we are in need of saving. We are in need of saving. Now, point one can be a quite controversial point of the gospel, and sometimes it can run counter to what we want to hear. Human beings spend a lot of time constructing what you could call mental architecture. We spend a lot of times constructing a world where we can, so that we can tell ourselves that we're good people. Because inherently, we want to view ourselves as good. But Titus cuts directly through that innate human desire to shield ourselves from the truth that we are in need of saving, that we are in need of something from outside of ourselves to save us. What does he say? He says, you were foolish, you were disobedient, you were deceived, and you were enslaved. These are very strong words, aren't they? And that part, uh, and, and that's just the beginning of what he says, right? The the part that I found most compelling when I read through this passage earlier this week was what what he says after that, where he says, uh, you lived with malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Being hated and hating one another. And that, for me, kind of sums up the state of our current world. Being hated and hating one another. Uh, I just want to drop a pin right there and say that that energy there, the energy of, of malice, of hate, of being hated and hating one another is one of the primary motivations in our world. Do, have you ever thought of that? That desire, that antipathy that, that people feel for other people. The the energy and the power that is associated with being hated and hating others is a power that kind of perpetuates our world, isn't it? It's it's a power that keeps uh, countries pitted against countries, that keeps different people groups pitted against different people groups. There's an energy in hate that our world runs off of. I think, when I think about this, I think about Tom Brady. (laughs) I don't know. If that brings, uh, he's the GOAT, right? He's the best quarterback in uh, the history of the world, apparently. Uh, And the narrative behind TB12's life is that he got picked 199th in the 2000 NFL draft. He got passed over and spurned by all of these NFL teams multiple times. And he takes that uh, slight and he puts that chip on his shoulder, right? And he is motivated by anger, hate even, to, uh, to accomplish everything that he's accomplished in his life. He, he, he's allowed a chip on his shoulder so big that seven Super Bowl rings can't take it off, right? Can't remove it. Malice, anger, hate, envy are powerful motivators, and they motivate people in our world, don't they? So much of what we do in this world is defined by, well, I'll show him. Right, I'll, I'll make something of myself even when they don't think I can. That person did that thing to me and I'm going to make them pay. And whether we actually confront them or not, there's so much motivation and energy caught up in this desire, to, uh, caught up in these feelings of antipathy, of hate, and of being hated. The world is enslaved to this feeling. You see, we're so enslaved to it that we believe it's actually good and that it's a way that we can get what we want. I'll show my parents, right? I'll show them. I'll make something of myself. Those people who mistreated me, they need to pay, right? There's energy in it. They, uh, you see, those people, we think this way too, right? Those people are the enemy, and they need to be stopped, right? There's energy in those feelings. All these kind of motivations and actions in the world are based on these feelings of hatred, and they are bad motivations. They're bad motivations. Because without grace, eventually the fire of anger that motivates us will burn everybody up. But you see... We are in need of something outside of ourselves, outside of the systems of this world, outside of our own hate and envy, to rescue us from this vicious cycle of dog-eat-dog, dog, of, of an eye for an eye. If, if there's nothing that saves us from outside of ourselves, then we are just subject to these structures and systems, these cycles of, of being hated and hating, which leads Titus verse 4 where he says this but when but when the kindness and love of god our savior appeared he saved us not because of our righteous thing not because of the righteous things we have done but because of his mercy so point two of the gospel this morning you are the object of god's unmerited favor you are the object of God's unmerited favor. God meets our anger and our envy and our hatred with his kindness and love. This is who God is. God's love kind of short circuits the cycle of anger and violence that keeps our hearts and our world in thrall. This is what Jesus does on the cross, right? He meets us right at the point of the world's great, at this point at the cross, of the world's anger and God's love, doesn't he? That's where, that's where Jesus meets us. And what, does, what do the scriptures tell us Jesus did in that place on the cross? That he disarmed the principalities and powers that in some way shape or form the full force of the world's anger was released on jesus and in that place he met it and disarmed it and so that uh in in effect, saving us from the anger and the hostility and the violence of our world you see and here's the and here's the gospel in a nutshell we did nothing to deserve this we were caught in the thrall of of our world's anger and we did not one thing to deserve it and yet this god in his kindness and his love comes to us in the person of jesus appeared titus says to save us not because of one thing we have done but because of his mercy you know this time of year you see a lot of ads on tv for uh New gym memberships, right? Every gym is running a fifty percent off membership right now. So if you want to go get uh, if you want to go get in shape, feel free to sign up. Uh, there's all kinds of programs that come along with the new year that promise all kinds of change in your life. One of the probably most uh, the most common phrases you hear is "New Year, New You," right? It's this belief that if you just buy the right things or you join the right gym or you, or you start eating the right foods, that there is going to be a whole new you, right? That you can transform yourself from the inside out. All of the bad things that happened to you in the previous year, all of the horrible things that you ate the year before, every bad habit that you've ever taken on, well, just with the turn of a calendar and the purchase of a, of a, of a membership to Lifetime Fitness can be solved. New year New you. You see, the idea being that the old you or the bad you is just one step, uh, you're just one step away from a healthy, skinnier, more optimized version of yourself. And the, the idea inherent in this is that you don't need something from the outside of yourself to actually help you, right? That the only thing you need to do is to do the thing that they say you need to do, right? To take that step, to eat that salad, to join that gym to read that book. But the gospel pushes back against this idea, doesn't it? The beauty of the gospel is that uh, it uh, makes clear to us that we are incapable of making a new year, new me, right? That under the power of the world, under the power of our own steam, newness in life is not a capability that I possess. Yes, you can die it. Yes, the the external factors of your life can be made better through sheer force of effort. There's nothing that's not untrue, right? We're not we're not incapable of helping ourselves, but the grace of God appeared for a reason, and it comes to us as God's grace because specifically because we are not able to fix ourselves. But the grace of God comes to us when we are. Uh, willing to acknowledge the fact that we are in need. And as we are in need, we're able to then receive the free gift of God's grace that's made available to us in the person of Jesus. And as we do, there are then effects that transform us. And so those effects that transform us, we read about in this next verse, beginning in verse 5. This is what Titus says. He says, we, he saved us through the washing of rebirth And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So point three of the gospel this morning is that salvation is an inward washing, a renewal of our hearts. Salvation is an inward washing or a renewal of our hearts. Because of what Jesus did, you have been washed. You have been reborn. You have been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of what Titus is referring to here is obviously baptism, right? He's making a a reference to baptism. Baptism is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual truth. And so he's using that language purposely. But what forgiveness or the washing away of our sins and rebirth gives us is an open door to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So this idea that you can't just force a new year, new you, right? It's, it's not just some technique that you need to begin practicing to make yourself new. That's true. But as we receive the goodness of God, as we, as we come to faith in Jesus, and as Jesus saves us, we have an open door then to the transformation of our internal lives. The scriptures talk about how we are given a new heart. And then the Holy Spirit is able to begin this renewing work in our lives. Now, I want to make quite clear that this gospel is not simply a behavior modification program, right? It's just, it's not a program uh, of of behavior modification or or of, of becoming a morally upstanding person. It is first and foremost about, it is not first and foremost about making sure that the outside of the house is neat and tidy, right? It's something internal. It's a transformation of the heart that then begins to slowly and in ways that are often unexpected work itself out into our lives. God's grace gives us the gift of forgiveness and opens us up to a new life that can be lived in Jesus, in Christ, in the Messiah. We have access to his life through this grace and through and through the possibility that is made available to us through the working of the holy spirit that changes us incrementally over time and often the process of stepping into this newness of life that we call this path of discipleship opening opening ourselves up to the availability of the holy spirit to renew us on the inside and then to have that internal transformation work its way out into our behavior and into our life is never linear it's never linear. Have any of you uh, ever struggled with sin, right? Have you, have you ever had some... Diff- some people are shaking their head. Have any of you ever had some difficulty in your life that just felt like, how in the world am I going to get over this, right? How am I, I going to stop saying negative things about my friend who thinks they're my friend, but who I actually don't like, Right? How, how am I going to deal with that boss, right? Or how am I going to get over these feelings of insecurity that just plague me? How am I going to deal with that controlling issue in my life, whether it's some controlling substance or some controlling thought? How do I allow the transformation of my internal life to then work itself out into the world, uh, into my actual life? How am I going to deal with that sin that keeps plaguing me? And the truth of the matter is that the Spirit is always, if we're open and available to Him, the Spirit is always at work in those corners of our lives. Always. It's just that He doesn't always work the way we want Him to work. Right? He doesn't always put His finger on the thing that we want Him to put His finger on. This is how David Zoll, the theologian and writer, puts it. He says, The Holy Spirit, which Jesus says cannot be conjured or manipulated, and that's an important thing, creates a way out of no way, a somebody out of nobody. The Holy Spirit ignites possibility in places where no one would expect to find it. You see, the Holy Spirit in our lives, after we've come to Jesus and we've given our hearts to Him, and and we submit to His leading in our lives, has this way of bringing unexpected possibilities out of our lives. You see, some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life as a follower of Jesus are when people who I don't think are ever going to get it together and are never going to amount to much come to faith in Christ and then through this process, this like mysterious process of the work of the Holy Spirit and their cooperation with it begin to change and to transform. You know, there are people in my life who I don't like, right? Right? You ever had anybody you didn't like? No Nick, I like everybody, everybody I've ever met. I love deeply i ha- I had one friend in particular who I just didn't wasn't a big fan of. you know they always kind of got on my nerves and I- I'm not even going to name this person because this is public but uh, but n- numerous years later, I ran back into them and I realized how uh, how substantially the Holy Spirit had transformed them, and I was really frustrated by it, because I wanted to hold on to my feelings of dislike and distrust of this person, right? But the Holy Spirit had done something fascinating in their lives and had transformed them. And, And the possibility for each and every one of us is that by accessing the grace of God and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our lives, those aspects of our lives that plague us can and do change, all right? But it is first and foremost about Uh, the proper orientation of our hearts and not the outside of our lives, right? Jesus is first and foremost concerned with our hearts. And here's the truth. None of us, this side of the resurrection, will ever be perfect, which is why the grace of God exists. Because if we could be perfect, then this process of being a Christian would just be be about becoming perfect. But it's not about becoming perfect. It's about the grace of God. But we cannot shut off the reality that when we come to Jesus, when we accept the gospel, when we confess our need for salvation and we uh, commit our lives to following Jesus, that there is a process that then begins of transformation by which the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we are a changed people. You see, if we turn our our minds and our hearts away from the reality of the fact that Christ wants to change us, then we are not living into the fullness of this gospel that is promised to us. You see, opened to us is a whole new way of life. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. And if we close ourselves off to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the transformation of our own hearts, then we close ourselves off to life to the full. It's not about it's not about behavior modification for the sake of checking some boxes so that I can say I'm this type of person. I'm this I'm I'm th- I'm this amount good, right? No, that's not what it's about. It's about living into the fullness of a life that has been been made available to us through the person of Jesus, of being saved in the hereafter, right, when Jesus returns, but also of experiencing the salvation of Jesus in Now, in the regular, routine, daily practice of my life. You see, salvation is not a once-for-all thing. It's a now-and-then thing, right? That we allow the salvation of Jesus to touch us in our current state of being, and that uh, because of the grace of God, salvation has been made available to us forever, for eternity, which leads us to the last point, of what what Titus tells us about the gospel. So point four of the gospel is salvation is about the restoration of God's good world. Titus says something here that we often miss when we talk about the gospel. I think very often those first three points are very common. We think about them quite often when we want to to summarize the gospel, but Titus goes on. He says here, you see the uh, uh, gospel, that, The gospel is not just about going to heaven when it's all over, right? That you receive this message and then you go to heaven. That's not where the gospel ends. The gospel takes one step further. It's in the language that Titus uses here about being heirs of God's kingdom and having a hope of eternal life. Here's what he says in verse four. He says, so that, right? So this is why, why why do we hear this gospel and why are we saved? So that having been justified by his grace we have become heirs. That's interesting, right? Having the hope of eternal life. You see, one of the ideas when we miss, when we don't understand the gospel, as Titus is communicating it to us here, is is we miss the whole story of scripture and what God has been after from the very beginning. You see, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, what does God do He establishes Adam and Eve in the garden to rule and reign in his good world. God did not scrap that project, that project of of his people uh, ruling and reigning as his images, as his, you know, little versions of him in the world. You see, this is how N.T. Wright puts it. He says this, early Christians believed on the authority of Jesus himself that the original vision of creation and for humans within it has had been recaptured and restored through Jesus' inauguration of God's sovereign rule. That's an important word. What would it look like if God was running things? That's a good question to ask from time to time, isn't it? And as in Genesis, part of the answer to that question was, it would look like obedient humans following the obedient human, so Jesus, acting as stewards over creation, bringing new creation to birth and gathering up the praises of, uh, of the creation to present them to its maker. You see, inherent in the gospel that Titus gives us here is that salvation is about the restoration of God's good world. God wants heirs of his kingdom working as his hands and feet in the world to bring about the restoration of the world that he created good. We are called to live in the light of the fact that Jesus is king, and we are to align our lives with his kingdom and to work in the world for its restoration and renewal. Now, we know, we know that we know that this will never be a perfect process and that the world will never be perfectly under the rule and reign of Jesus until Jesus returns as king. But that does not mean that as uh, followers of Jesus, we are not called to enact that way of life in the here and now. That's what we're called to do. We're called to live as heirs of the kingdom of God. This is royal language, right? An heir of a king was a prince or a princess. Somebody who had the divine right and rule of God and the privileges thereof active in their lives. And so, as as the heirs of King Jesus, we are called to live as obedient humans, servants, recapturing something of the original intent of the human being in the here and now, living now in the kingdom of God as God would have us to live. You know, that idea, kingdom of God, simply means that the area or the dome over which God's will is done. This is why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' followers are called to enact God's kingdom on the earth. And so what does that mean, practically speaking? Nick, okay, that's a great and big idea, but practically speaking, what does that mean? It means that we work in the here and now, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, to see God's kingdom of justice and love and light spread out. That's really all it means. It means that we push back against the the impulses of hate, being hated and hating others that we read about earlier in Titus. It means we don't allow our lives to be controlled by greed and envy, right? It means that we begin to loose the bonds of sin that are tied on our own hearts and Uh, The baggage of sin that is tied on others, that we go out into the world as, as, uh, as messengers of God's love and of his grace, and we begin to see people freed from the bondage that they find themselves in. And it means, practically speaking, right, that we begin to do the things that Jesus would have us to do. We live out in our public lives the way Jesus would have us to live, which turns out to be very simple stuff. It just means, like, not taking advantage of people, caring for those who are less fortunate than us, right? It means uh, assigning dignity and value and worth to every human being whose heart has ever pumped one beat. Because Jesus loves each of us that same way. You see, being heirs of Christ's kingdom and living as though the kingdom of God were present, because it is, in the person of Jesus, and by his Holy Spirit, is simply about knowing and believing that we are, uh, we are his heirs, we're his kingdom people, and we serve King Jesus. This has all kinds of implications for the way we live, doesn't it? has all kinds of implications for the way we do or don't spend our money. has all kinds of implications for the way we treat people, or view people, or talk about people. But but primarily, it has to do with that idea that Wright talks about at the end of his his, uh, quote, of bringing new creation to birth and gathering up the praises of all creation to present them to our maker. You see, ultimately, the point and goal of our lives, the telos of our lives, is to gather up all that is good in this world all the good that we can muster with our own lives, which tends to not be that much under our own steam, and present them to God in praise, present them to our maker in praise, and to find in that place the goodness and significance of our lives. You see, Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to believe the gospel. He wants you to be saved. And he wants you to live wholeheartedly as his heir in this world, building the kingdom wherever you go. Would you stand with me this morning? And so, as we head into this new year with all kinds of unforeseen challenges ahead, with all kinds of difficulties and joys, with all kinds of pains, with all kinds of hope attached to it, would we go into this year with the assurance that God's grace is with us and that as we yield our hearts to the to the presence of the Holy Spirit we can see the very ground under our feet become holy ground because it's a place where the kingdom of God has taken up residence in our lives and in the lives of our friends and neighbors. Would you pray with me? Father we love you and this year we dedicate ourselves afresh and anew to you. We pray that this year we would we would devote our lives to being your heirs, your kingdom people, your, uh, your messengers to, to bring this message of renewal and reconciliation to all of the world. Father, we pray specifically for those people who we know in our, in our spheres of influence, who don't know you, who have not experienced your grace and your goodness, who, uh, who are caught within some trap of violence, despair, anger. God, we pray that you would use us as your messengers to bring this good news of King Jesus to them. We pray for all of our friends who don't know you or who are far from you, God, that they would come to know you this year, that they would come to know your goodness and your grace and your love. And we pray that you would use us and whatever gifts we have in our hands, as humble as they are, that you would use them to build the kingdom of God in our own little spheres of influence, would you bind us together as a church and would you help us to walk out this commission that you've given us to bring new creation to life in our lives and to, and to be messengers of the gospel that others might come to new birth in you. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this year that you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in that name. Amen. And amen and amen. Well, go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.